Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, December 5th, 2022, the 684th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a variety of podcast platforms and Rumble, of course. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the show, to the writing, to the social media, and to the merch site simply by going to linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So on Friday evening and over the weekend, one of the biggest news stories imaginable began to develop in real time. And we are nowhere near seeing the full impact of exactly what is going on. I'm talking, of course, 
about the release Friday evening of what Elon Musk is calling the Twitter files. Now, he's been hinting at this for a little while. He's been saying, I'm going to put out all of the internal Twitter documents about censorship and about a number of other issues. And on Friday, he started that process with the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop. And he chose a bit of an interesting approach. He selected the journalist, Matt Taibbi, who has been at Rolling Stone for a long time. The last couple of years, he's been writing independently for his own Substack. He also has a podcast with the great writer, Walter Kern. And in terms of the people in and around mainstream media, there probably aren't too many that you can trust more than Matt Taibbi. Now, I'm not saying that I think Matt Taibbi is amazing. I think he's wrong about a bunch of stuff. I think that he ignored election fraud. I think that he does not understand Donald Trump. So when you are afflicted with misunderstandings like that, it causes an almost incalculable skewing of perception that will lead you to a whole bunch more major profound errors But leaving all of that aside, I think that he's a fairly trustworthy person who wants to get things right and do a good job of holding people in power to account for their actions. And so when it was clear that the Twitter files release would be Matt Taibbi sharing information from those documents in a Twitter thread, I was pretty shocked and disappointed. The last thing I want to see is someone who is even on the periphery of mainstream media telling the country what we're all supposed to think about this information, because the information is key and it's damning. And I'm going to get into exactly how damning I believe it is as we go along. But I wanted the documents. I wanted people in alternative media to get a shot at building this story and finding out what was important. So to say I was skeptical of the strategy initially would be an understatement, but about five or six posts in, I started thinking, well, maybe I was a bit quick to judge the situation because I started to see exactly how the situation was playing out. It wasn't just a long thread posted all at once. Hey, this is it. It was every couple of minutes, a new post, a new drop new setup to exactly what was coming, new context so that people could understand what's going on. In our world right now, there are still so many people who think that Hunter Biden's laptop is not real, that it really is Russian disinformation, or that what's on the laptop is not relevant. And of course, the mainstream media has continued to try to push people in that direction, but I don't think it's really going to work anymore. Now, I doubt too many of you were online for the duration of this and looking at Twitter as the feed updated and new posts from Taibbi kept dropping over and over and over again. I think there was, I don't know, 35 to 40 of them. Some were numbered, some weren't. So it's in that ballpark. But the whole thing played out in a really entertaining way. People were constantly engaged. New posts would come up. People would begin to analyze those posts. Some of us who have actually paid attention to these issues for the last two years actually had good and important things to add because 
the blue checks on Twitter, the legacy blue checks and the mainstream media, they don't have anything relevant to add to this story. By and large, none of them have learned anything about the Hunter Biden laptop or about Twitter censorship in over two years now. They think the important issues are simply about censorship relative to the First Amendment and Section 230 and all of that. But that's not what this issue is about. And that is not what the issues that continue to build off this slow and steady Twitter files release are going to be about. This is about elements of our government and elements trying to subvert Donald Trump in the political realm and outside the political realm using Twitter and their portal to Twitter to censor incredibly important information from the American public so that they could take down the Trump administration, insert their illegitimate regime, and then implement their agenda over these last couple of years. So I want to focus on the thread for a little bit, the thread itself. But before that, let's just get a little reminder about what the situation actually was in the fall of 2020 and how this Biden laptop was treated. This is from this morning on the war room, although I'm not sure if they created the compilation themselves. Biden secret emails. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. The FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, these emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmark, hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right wing media. 50 machine. former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. This is classic Trump. We have four days left and all of a sudden there's a laptop. There's overwhelming evidence that from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged. I still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were Russian disinformation as Yes, yes, yes. I know you'd ask it. I have no response. It's another smear campaign. It's the last ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. The vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. So Joe Biden and the media and Joe Biden's campaign, everyone around Joe Biden, all of them lied directly to the American public about this laptop. Joe Biden knew that the laptop was real. The FBI had that laptop since late 2019. There was absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the information on that laptop was legitimate. It was created and compiled by Hunter Biden. There was no doubt about this. Donald Trump was president. He knew the laptop was real. 
The director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, went out and said that the laptop was real. It was just the media. It was just the Biden campaign. It was just the social media companies blocking it. And it was 51 former intelligence officials who wrote a letter that claimed and that hinted that the laptop was probably it had all the markings of a Russian disinformation campaign. But they couldn't say that it was actually Russian disinformation, and they didn't say it in that letter. They just said the thing they needed to say so that the media would take the next step. They would report the existence of this letter. It would sound so overwhelming, as Joe Biden just mentioned uh, in that clip. And the normie consumer of news and information will hear that and think, well, okay, I guess like maybe one or two. Former intelligence officials could lie, but 51? No. No, there's just no way 51 people could all sign their name to a lie. Well, hey, commie, you're going to have a hard time because that sort of thing happens every day. They don't care about what you or I think of their reputation. They care about the agenda they have worked their whole lives to implement. They care about the power that they have created for themselves and their quest for continued power. They care about doing the bidding of those above them who have them blackmailed and compromised, who know what corrupt things they've done. The people higher than them can take all of them down at any point, so they are going to stick with the program. That's how it works. We've seen it in countless situations over the last few years. No one had any doubt. No one around the situation had any doubt. Everyone on Joe Biden's campaign knew that laptop was real. Everyone on Joe Biden's campaign, for that matter, knew Ashley Biden's diary was real. And you got to think that they went ahead and read it and they knew what was on it, where it says that Ashley Biden took probably inappropriate showers with her father as a young girl. And they simply didn't care. They just ignored it. They went around saying that Joe Biden is still a good and decent man. And Joe Biden repeatedly went out in front of the cameras on a national stage, the national audience, and lied directly to the American people. You could hear him flailing in the debate. He looked angry. He looked unhinged. And he just repeated the lies, the lies that they had chosen, the ones they decided. This is what we say. This is going to work the best. You're going to go out and say, that's been totally discredited. That's been totally discredited. 51 former intelligence officials. It's been discredited. That's all you have to say. This is Trump's fault. Who are you going to believe? The person that the media tells you is a good and decent man, even though he's showered with his daughter and destroyed his whole family, or that guy, the guy who's kept America out of foreign wars for the last four years and built an incredibly strong economy. But nope, you got to believe Biden because the propaganda and the censorship make it seem like Donald Trump is terrible and like Joe Biden is great. Joe Biden couldn't have done anything bad. His son couldn't have done anything bad. It's just a bunch of nude pictures on that laptop. Well, let's get to the thread. 
So things started out a little strange. Elon initially posted what really happened with the Hunter Biden story suppression by Twitter will be published on Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern. And about 20 minutes after five, he said, we're double checking some facts. So probably start live tweeting in about 40 minutes. And that struck people as a little unlikely. Maybe it was a strategic delay. But hey, maybe they had to check something else out. I don't know what that could have been. But after that delay, Taibi began his Twitter thread at 634 Eastern Time. The Twitter Files. What you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. The Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It's a Frankensteinian tale of a human-built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. Twitter, in its conception, was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communication, making a true real-time global conversation possible for the first time. In an early conception, Twitter more than lived up to its mission statement, giving people, quote, the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add those barriers. Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the likes of spam and financial fraudsters. Slowly over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more uses for these tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well, first a little, then more often, then constantly. And of course, this would surprise no one seeing where all of this has come to at this point. But if you, like me, suspect that there was always some level of government involvement, perhaps DARPA, perhaps CIA, in control of the technology, just as they have been with Facebook and other platforms, you can kind of see how Twitter was perfectly tailored to become a tool for propaganda and censorship. So the idea that this thing happened kind of organically within the company seems totally wrong to me. And I think over time, my position on that will be proven correct. But for now, we can stay with the more normie position that this sort of thing just arose within Twitter and from influence from the outside as people began to realize that censorship could actually make their life and their agenda a whole lot easier. Back to Taibi. By 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another. More to review from the Biden team. The reply would come back handled. And he has the email showing that specifically from Saturday, October 24th, 2020. Celebrities and unknowns alike could be removed or reviewed at the behest of a political party. Now, he frames it that way to mention that James Woods was just as eligible to be censored as you or I might be. Both parties had access to these tools. For instance, in 2020, Requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored. However, 
This system wasn't balanced. It was based on contacts because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation. There were more channels, more ways to complain open to the left. Well, Democrats than the right. And Elon Musk did a Q&A, a live voice Q&A on Twitter spaces on Saturday, and he addressed some of this. Now, again, I think this is a very normie perspective to take. And I don't think that any of this was natural and just based on their underlying political prejudices, though that is real and could have been a factor. Elon talked about this on Saturday. He said that what you would find at Twitter headquarters and in these circles, the employees that worked at Twitter by and large reflected the political climate of woke San Francisco and the woke tech community. So from their personal perspective, which they probably imagine reflects some sort of objectivity, what they think is true and false will already be influenced by that bias before they even have to consider whether or not to make another decision, which again will reflect the same bias. There's no doubt in my mind that the employees at Twitter at that time probably all believed that masks worked. Many of them, I'm sure, still believed in Russian collusion. They actually thought that Donald Trump had done something very, very bad, and that's why he was impeached for the Ukraine issue. So we're already starting with people who are self-admitted communists. I've played that clip from Project Veritas a couple of times. They had a hidden camera filming an interaction with a Twitter employee months and months ago, and he said that Twitter is, in his words, commie as F. I'm being nice for the kids in the car. But they knew there's no doubt about the political climate in Twitter, though I don't believe for a second that that was the primary factor in their censorship decisions because we know who was asking them to censor. Back to Taibi. The resulting slant in content moderation decisions is visible in the documents you're about to read. However, it's also the assessment of multiple current and former high-level executives. Okay, there was more throat clearing about the process, but screw it, let's jump forward. And so then he gets into it. The Twitter Files Part 1, How and Why Twitter Blocked the Hunter Biden Laptop Story. On October 14th, 2020, the New York Post published Biden's secret emails, an expose based on the contents of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress that story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases, for example, child pornography. And what he means here is that Twitter didn't only make it impossible for its users to post links to the New York Post's story. They also made it impossible for people to send one another the link in Twitter direct messages. So they were censoring people's private communications that did not appear on the platform. Now, it's interesting that they mentioned the child pornography aspect in there because Elon Musk has talked about this. They have done so much more in the one month he's been at Twitter to combat child exploitation than they did in the 10 years prior, which means that 
The child exploitation facilitated appearing on Twitter and facilitated by Twitter's platform simply was not a priority at all for the old regime. And why would that be? It's pretty depressing that it took new ownership for them to clear up a problem as heinous as child exploitation on that platform. And the fact that they have been able to make such a dent in that problem so quickly says pretty clearly that the ability to have handled that problem prior certainly existed. It was just a matter of really, really terrible priorities. White House spokeswoman Kaylee McEnany was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from Trump campaign staffer Mike Hahn, who seethed, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. And you might remember that. Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary, was not allowed to use Twitter. They took her off Twitter in the lead up to an election. Here's Han's email. He writes, Kaylee McEnany has been locked out from her account for simply talking about the New York Post story. All she did was cite this story and firsthand reporting that has been reported by other outlets and not disputed by the Biden campaign. I need an answer immediately on when and how she will be unlocked. I also don't appreciate how nobody on this team called me regarding the news that you'll be censoring news articles. Like I said, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. And this stuff was blatant. Everybody knew that it was going on. People from both campaigns knew that it was going on. And Biden supporters and the media and tech and everyone else aligned with the get rid of Trump project, simply accepted all this. In fact, they promoted it. They liked that they had the ability to simply stop the spread of stories they thought might harm the Biden campaign. This led public policy executive Caroline Strom to send out a polite WTF query. Several employees noted that there was tension between the comms and policy teams who had little or less control over moderation and the safety and trust teams. Now, you'll remember the trust and safety head is Yoel Roth, who Elon kept on for the first couple of weeks, but then let go. Roth has since come out writing op eds where he encourages Twitter to be censored by whatever means possible, preferably taking the app out of the app store. Strom's note returned the answer that the laptop story had been removed for violation of the company's hacked materials policy. And rather than take the issue seriously as it should have been, a woman named Elaine Ong Soto at Twitter wrote back, per checking, the user was bounced by site integrity for violating our hacked materials policy adding them here for further insights and guidance. And you have to love the idiot business lingo that people in these companies always use. Per checking. Ridiculous. Although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks, there's no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. The decision was made at the highest levels of the company, but without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey. With former head of legal policy and trust, 
Vigia Gotti playing a key role. They just freelanced it, is how one former employee characterized the decision. Hacking was the excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. You can see the confusion in the following lengthy exchange, which ends up including Gotti and former trust and safety chief Yoel Roth. Comms official Trenton Kennedy writes, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe. And I think the best explainability argument for this externally would be that we're waiting to understand if this story is the result of hacked materials. We'll face hard questions on this if we don't have some kind of solid reasoning for marking the link unsafe. Another Twitter employee named Katie Rossborough wrote, Will we also mark similar stories as unsafe? So things were a mess over there. They did not know how to describe this to the public. They censored and removed the post with no explanation. At no time did they actually believe that the Hunter Biden laptop came as the result of any sort of hacking. Back to Taibbi. By this point, everyone knew this was fucked said one former employee, but the response was essentially to err on the side of continuing to err. And Taibbi included this email exchange. This is from Yoel Roth. The policy basis is hacked materials, though, as discussed, this is an emerging situation where the facts remain unclear. Given the severe risks here and lessons of 2016, we're erring on the side of including a warning and preventing this content from being amplified. So what does he mean there by the lessons of 2016? Well, he's referring specifically to James Comey coming out and talking about Hillary Clinton's emails. And in the normie liberal mindset, that is what cost Hillary Clinton the election. James Comey went out and presented an October surprise, and it was so devastating that Hillary Clinton couldn't recover. And we ended up with Donald Trump, who also colluded with Russia. Totally right. All these reasons why Trump won and Hillary lost. And one of the biggest was because this information came out that destroyed her campaign. Doesn't matter that the information was true. Doesn't matter that Hillary Clinton's email situation is actually a really terrible and destructive story, and she should be locked up just for that alone. All that matters is that them allowing this information to propagate might make it so that Donald Trump wins re-election. They're saying it really clearly. The intent to interfere in the election exists right there in Yoel Roth's words, the head of trust and safety. Vijayagadi responds, what is the warning that will come up? Roth writes back, when you click the link, you'll see the generic unsafe URL message, references spam, malware, and violations of the Twitter rules. Not ideal, but it's the only thing we have. So again, they just layer on another level of dishonesty in their public communications. And that is a public communication when that little information box pops up and it says this link has been marked unsafe. Look what it's for. Spam, malware and violations of the Twitter rules. It's not for news stories they don't like. A Twitter employee on the thread, Ian Plunkett, wrote back, whatever we do in the comms, This will become a bias claim 
for Jack pre-hearing immediately. Wow. Let's make it clear we're proactively but cautiously interpreting this through the lens of our hacked materials policy and allowing the link with a warning and significant reduction of spread. So they're trying to figure out how to do this and how to make it make sense to the public and not look like the blatant election interference and censorship that it actually is. Taibi goes on. Former VP of Global Comms Brandon Borman asks, can we truthfully claim this is part of the policy? As part of our approach to addressing potentially hacked materials, we are limiting visibility of related stories on Twitter while our investigation is ongoing. So look at the big brain on Brandon. He's thinking, well, hey, this sounds more responsible than the last iteration of our excuse. Maybe we should say this. Maybe we need to tell the public that what we are doing is actually the most responsible possible thing that anyone could ever do. Yeah, that's the ticket. Taibi continues to which former deputy general counsel Jim Baker again seems to advise staying the non course because caution is warranted. This is what Baker writes Baker of former FBI fame. And of course, Russiagate fame and still the deputy general counsel at Twitter. I support the conclusion that we need more facts to assess whether the materials were hacked at this stage. However, it is reasonable for us to assume that they may have been and that caution is warranted. There are some facts that indicate that the materials may have been hacked, while there are others indicating that the computer was either abandoned and or the owner consented to allow the repair shop to access it for at least some purposes. We simply need more information. So he knew the true story. The true story was right there and he didn't care. Let's just throw the true story into doubt. You know, people have proposed all of these false stories. We wouldn't want to bias ourselves against false stories just because we know the true story. All of these false stories can help create confusion in the public so that they will be more likely to accept the false stories too. And sure, they're going to know the true story. But you see, the thing is, they're not going to want to believe the true story. So that gives us a lot of power. We can give a bunch of false stories in there with that true story. Everyone who cares will believe the true story. And everyone who wants the true story to be false will just pick whichever one they feel like they can run with. Or maybe they'll just take all of them together and say, hey, no one could possibly ever know where this came from. And people at Twitter say it might have been hacked. And now the media people are saying it might have been hacked. So Who's to say it wasn't hacked? A fundamental problem with tech companies and content moderation. Many people in charge of speech know and care little about speech and have to be told the basics by outsiders. To wit, in one humorous exchange on day one, Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna reaches out to Gotti to gently suggest she hop on the phone to talk about the backlash regarding speech. Kahana was the only Democratic official I could find in the files who expressed concern. And that is pretty incredible because Ro Khanna is like a Bernie Sanders communist. And though what he's expressing here carries an ounce of integrity with it, you will soon see that that was not his primary motivation. He writes, generating huge backlash on Hill regarding speech 
Happy to chat if you're up for it. Taibi goes on. Gotti replies quickly, immediately diving into the weeds of Twitter policy, unaware Kana is more worried about the Bill of Rights. She writes, hi, Congressman Kana. Thank you for reaching out and we appreciate the heads up. We put out a clarifying thread of tweets earlier this evening to explain our policy around the posting of private information and linking directly to hacked materials. The press secretary's account was not permanently suspended. We requested that she delete the tweet containing material that is in violation of our rules and her account is restricted until she complies. I'd be happy to jump on the phone if helpful. My team in D.C. are copied here and also available to discuss. So Vidya Gotti believes that Twitter's rules, as they have interpreted them ad hoc on the fly to their own benefit, should actually supersede the ability of the sitting press secretary for the president of the United States to have access to Twitter. The Twitter rules that they just made up are more important, and she believes that they actually represent a moral justification for what she's done. And this is a very strange characteristic of communists broadly, whether they're in business or tech or in politics or wherever. They give some convoluted and complicated explanation about why the thing they did was good to do and the right thing to do while never actually discussing whether or not it was moral or legal. Nothing about the steps that they considered regarding Twitter's policies have anything to do with what Ro Khanna is asking. He's saying this is pretty obviously a heinous violation of our First Amendment, if not in the letter of the law, at least in the spirit of it. And I think he expected that to be addressed, but Vidyagati certainly didn't do it. Kana tries to reroute the conversation to the First Amendment, says Taibi, mention of which is generally hard to find in the files. And this is what Kana wrote. Hope you're well, Vidya, but this seems a violation of the First Amendment principles. If there is a hack of classified information or other information that could expose a serious war crime and the New York Times was to publish it, I think the New York Times should have that right. A journalist should not be held accountable for the illegal actions of the source unless they actively aided the hack. So to restrict the distribution of that material, especially regarding a presidential candidate, seems not in the keeping of the principles of New York Times versus Sullivan. I say this as a total Biden partisan and convinced he didn't do anything wrong. And it's worth noting here that Ro Khanna must not have checked. But the story has now become more about censorship than relatively innocuous emails, and it's becoming a bigger deal than it would have been. It is also now leading to serious efforts to curtail Section 230, many of which would have been a mistake. So again, it's funny that Ro Khanna believes that he's standing up for First Amendment principles and that he's trying to bring some sort of reasonable solution to this problem while also completely ignoring what's on the Biden laptop. He clearly doesn't know or he does know and is clearly ignoring it because, as he says, he is a total Biden partisan. 
What's on that laptop is not just a series of relatively innocuous emails. What's on that laptop is proof of high level political corruption and criminality extending all the way up to Joe Biden while he was in the Obama administration for things he was doing with Obama's knowledge. They were systematically selling American interests to our foreign adversaries. It is just true. You don't need to scale it back. That's what they were doing. But let's go back to the rest of this Kana email. I believe Twitter itself should curtail what it recommends or puts in trending views. And your policy against QAnon groups is all good. It's a hard balance. So that is a Democratic congressman, Ro Khanna, that thinks it's good that Twitter is censoring the political speech of its users. He certainly has no idea what QAnon is because QAnon's not a real thing. QAnon's a boogeyman. And I'm sure that Ro Khanna accepts the entire story, the entire scenario that has created that boogeyman and has otherwise no idea what Q posts are, but he is for censorship. But in the heat of a presidential campaign, restricting dissemination of newspaper articles, even if the New York Post is far right, seems like it will invite more backlash than it will do good. So again, not very principled. The New York Post, by the way, is not remotely far right. It's honestly surprising even for a communist like Ro Khanna to say something so absurd. But he's essentially saying here that, you know, the rules do apply differently if you're on the far right. We can't expect anybody to just apply the rules evenly. Please keep this communication between just us and Jack and no need to CC the team or forward to them. Just wanted to offer my two cents. Well, thanks, Ro Khanna. Now your two cents are no longer private. Sorry. Back to Taibi. Within a day, head of public policy Lauren Culbertson receives a ghastly letter slash report from Carl Sabo of the research firm Net Choice, which had already polled 12 members of Congress, nine Republicans and three Democrats from the House Judiciary Committee to Representative Judy Chu's office. Net Choice lets Twitter know a bloodbath awaits in upcoming Hill hearings with members saying it's a tipping point, complaining tech has grown so big they can't even regulate themselves, so government may need to intervene. Sabo reports to Twitter that some Hill figures are characterizing the laptop story as tech's access Hollywood moment. Others were more blunt. Tech is screwed and rightfully so. Twitter files continued. The First Amendment isn't absolute. Sabo's letter contains chilling passages relaying Democratic lawmakers' attitudes. They want more moderation. And as for the Bill of Rights, it's not absolute. Here is the message. The Democrats, meanwhile, complain that the companies are inept. They let conservatives muddy the water and make the Biden campaign look corrupt, even though Biden is innocent. I mean, that is just preposterous. They linked this to Hillary Clinton's email scandal. She did nothing wrong, but the press wouldn't let the story go. It became a scandal far out of proportion. In their mind, social media is doing the same thing. It doesn't moderate enough harmful content. So when it does, like it did yesterday, it becomes a story. If the companies moderated more, 
conservatives wouldn't even think to use social media for disinformation, misinformation or otherwise. The Democrats were in agreement. Social media needs to moderate more because they're corrupting democracy and making all quote unquote truth relative. When pushed on how the government might insist on that consistent with the First Amendment, they demurred. The First Amendment isn't absolute. So this is what partisan Democrats in the D.C. swamp believe about free speech. They believe it doesn't matter at all. In fact, if the social media platforms only censored more, then people wouldn't get as upset when they see something major censored. You can just censor everything that doesn't make the Democrats look great. And then the platform will be totally safe and perfect. And conservatives won't even come to Twitter to spread their misinformation and disinformation. That also happens to be absolutely 100% true. And you can see that as time went on, that vision of what Twitter should be is what Twitter became. Taibi finishes up. An amazing subplot of the Twitter Hunter Biden laptop affair was how much was done without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey and how long it took for the situation to get, quote, unfucked, as one ex-employee put it, even after Dorsey jumped in. Now, the fact that Jack Dorsey was not part of this decision is something that you should keep in mind for the future. It has been my view for a while that Jack Dorsey is actually not the bad guy at Twitter and was not the bad guy at Twitter. Now, you might not agree with me at all, and that's just fine. We'll see as the future develops. But there's a couple ways to look at the fact that he wasn't involved in this decision. And one of them might be that they intentionally kept him out of this decision because they were operating the whole censorship thing on their own. So that is the first release of the Twitter files. We don't have the underlying documents besides what he shared there in that thread and what I've shared with you. But Elon has said and committed publicly multiple times to putting all of the documents out there. In his conversation on Saturday in the Q&A, he said that Matt Taibbi has them, Barry Weiss has them, and that they're going to be responsible for getting the first few stories out. And after that point, we go ahead and get them. And there's going to be a whole lot more to see. Now, one thing that I want to note about all of this in this release is that Twitter clearly didn't know how to approach this situation and how to handle it. They had to censor on the fly and then figure out why they censored later on in a way that they could present to the public in a way that would seem legal and not introduce all sorts of new problems. And they struggled to do that because what they did was so blatantly immoral and almost definitely illegal. But the question is, on whose behalf did they do it? Certainly, Joe Biden and his campaign had a stake in the outcome of this decision. How much influence they had on the decision being made in the first place still isn't clear from what they've dropped. But you'll remember back toward the beginning of the thread that the Biden team had emailed a series of requests for censorship and Twitter responded that it's been handled. There's no reason to believe that they weren't doing this regularly because we know these portals existed and we have known about this for a long time. 
It's also worth noting that these portals don't only exist for people in the political environment. These portals exist for actors and celebrities, athletes and their teams, musicians, influencers, brands, certainly the public health community, the universities, transnational corporations, global governing bodies, Wall Street. Again, Twitter is an information weapon in the hands of these people, and they used it that way. They used their ability to propagandize and then censor dissent so that they could shift the collective mindset about a whole range of issues. It's not hard to imagine a stock price being influenced by a widespread public conversation about a certain company. It's not hard to imagine that damaging information could be censored and allow that company to continue to excel as if the issue had never happened in the first place. This is what they used it for. And of course, we'll eventually see just how much they were protecting individual celebrities and making it so that they had a nice, safe experience on Twitter. And another thing to consider is the presence of a man named Alexander McGillivray. I talked about him on this podcast maybe a month or so ago, but he was in the Obama administration, then at Twitter, and now in the fake Biden administration. He's the person that hired Vidya Gotti into her role at Twitter that she herself said she was unqualified for when she got it. Now, we're not there yet, but I have a feeling we might find out that the order to censor was relayed through McGillivray. So keep your eyes open for that. In Elon Musk's Q&A on Saturday, he said that the next drop is going to deal with the period after the election. And so what does that mean? We are going to see emails about the censorship of certain election-related narratives coming into Twitter, very likely from the Biden campaign, the office of the president-elect. You all remember that? The office of the president-elect where they just immediately started pretending that Biden was actually president. Let's make Joe Biden look really presidential. Let's give him an office of the president-elect. Let's put the signs out there so that everybody just sees it the whole time. Yes, it really is this guy. It's totally this guy. I know you don't believe it because there's no way that this old demented pervert won the presidential election over Donald Trump while not campaigning. But we're going to put these labels all around him everywhere, and hopefully that will convince you. We may well see emails from Biden-adjacent people, maybe Jen Psaki, who right now is fighting as hard as she can to not be deposed in the lawsuit brought by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. But what I can see happening in fairly short order is some proof that people on the communist side of things knew that the election had been stolen. We're going to see them particularly fearful of certain narratives that could prove that steal. And remember, during that time, they were saying that all of us were repeating the big lie while censoring 
this information from the Internet. And then we're going to get to the point where the decision was made to ban Donald Trump from Twitter. We're going to hear about everything surrounding the very violent insurrection. And I imagine that at some point in these Twitter files dumps, we're going to hear about the censorship of COVID information and information about the vaccines. Now, again, a lot of that already exists. We have documents. We have emails from Anthony Fauci. We have emails uncovered in various lawsuits. We know what they've said and we know what got censored. So it's not hard to put those two things together. But for all of the people who have not really paid attention to anything real for over two years, this stuff is going to be pretty surprising and pretty shocking. It's going to be pretty jarring. All of these positions, these ideas that they have represented to their friends and their family or in public over the last couple of years just so happen to all be wrong. And the fact that anyone believes them at all is a direct product of the propaganda and of the censorship. And consider this, you know, we know all sorts of evidence of election fraud. We watch election fraud happen in real time over and over and over. We saw it throughout the primaries. We saw it in the midterms. We saw it in Brazil. But they won't look at the evidence. And if they do look at the evidence, they don't consider it evidence. They think it's not evidence because the courts didn't take the cases and didn't, by and large, rule in Donald Trump's favor, or at least that's how they understand the situation. They don't believe any of its evidence at all. And when they classify it as not evidence, that is what allows them to continue ignoring it and feeling good about themselves. Oh, well, you know, if that was real evidence, the news would have told me. Well, Kami, is it real evidence if you can see emails for yourself that show the very people you have put your trust in are asking certain facts to be censored so that the public doesn't understand them in order to, in their own words, fortify that election. Now, as you might imagine, Donald Trump has been responding to all of this over the weekend and today in a series of posts on Truth Social. He said, so, with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with the big tech companies, the DNC, and the Democrat Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. And this is exactly in line with what I have been saying for well over two years now. He went on election interference at a level never seen before. That is certainly true, although we have seen it again multiple times. Unprecedented fraud requires unprecedented cure. And I'll get back to that in just a second. That was from yesterday. Today, he has written, the fake news is actually trying to convince the American people that I said I wanted to terminate the Constitution. This is simply more disinformation and lies, just like Russia, 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 and all of their other hoaxes and scams. What I said was that when there is massive and widespread fraud and deception, as has been irrefutably proven in the 2020 presidential election, 
Steps must be immediately taken to right the wrong. Only fools would disagree with that and accept stolen elections. Make America great again. Simply put, if an election is irrefutably fraudulent, it should go to the rightful winner or at a minimum be redone. Where open and blatant fraud is involved, there should be no limit for change. And if you were like me, you should find these statements heartening and inspiring and validating. If you understand what John Harold has written in his devolution series, these statements from Trump speak directly to that and to the fact that Donald Trump didn't just simply step away and step down as president and just leave us all to the wolves that nothing was ever going to happen. This is how it's happening. It's coming out. This is full public disclosure, and we are inching ever closer to that point where this country understands that the 2020 election was stolen. It was stolen in a variety of ways. There was election fraud, widespread election fraud, machine manipulation, ballot harvesting, laws changed outside the bounds of the Constitution and state constitutions. There was propaganda and censorship. There were threats made on officials all around the country, lawyers, judges, and there was direct interference by Joe Biden's campaign, the Democrat Party, the DNC, and a slew of other parties to make sure that Donald Trump would not be president again in 2020. They did this against a sitting president. They tried to remove a duly elected president from office and make sure he could not serve again. Donald Trump has never conceded the 2020 election. In his mind, in my mind, and many other people's minds, the 2020 election is not over officially or otherwise. Joe Biden's sham inauguration does not change that. Fraudulently certified electors don't change that. The time Joe Biden has spent pretending to be president don't change that. The oath that people have taken is to the Constitution, and many people have violated that oath in order to put Joe Biden in the position that he's in. It seems like what we're about to see is whether or not there is anybody who does adhere to their oath. And it looks like we may be arriving soon at seeing the exact same situation occur in Brazil. It seems like they may overturn that election and keep Bolsonaro in power. If they do that, it's going to be really difficult for anyone to say that machines cannot yield stolen elections. They certainly can. And everybody knows it, despite how much they may have lied about it over the last two years. It's not a mystery. We know Democrats understand that the machines can flip votes. They've taken testimony on it in Congress before. They've talked about it themselves in official settings. And Donald Trump's not just expressing his new positions in real time upon finding out all of this new information. Donald Trump has already known this information for years. What he's doing now is seeding the narrative idea to the American public that something can and must be done to reverse the stolen election of 2020. And as we continue on through this process, 
that idea is going to continually become more accepted by the American people. If we keep going down this path that we're on right now at a quickening pace, as it seems to be quickening, it won't be long before people understand and accept that Donald Trump did win and is the rightful president and should be publicly recognized as such. There is absolutely nothing short of that that anyone should find acceptable. That is the goal. And we all should be prepared to have whatever conversations necessary with the people in our lives to assure them that not only is that the goal and it will happen, but that when it happens, it is not a coup. It is not the start of a civil war. It is not a hostile takeover of the American presidency. It's justice. It's what should have happened all along. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!